Good to see everyone this morning. Some new faces since COVID, so I'm Virginia, in case I haven't had the opportunity to meet you. Um, and I am really grateful to be invited always um, to share. Um, and I was talking to a friend the other day, and she was like, you preach? And I was like, ooh, that word seems really official. I say words, and it happens to be at church. Um, and she goes, oh, do you ever get nervous? And I said, you know, the one thing that's allowed me to kind of stay present is I feel like God gives me a revelation just for me, and then y'all happen to get to be in the same room. And so if you get something from it, great. Um, so next week, I'll be celebrating a milestone. Well, at least that's what every 17 nylon Teen Vogue magazine back in middle school told me. Um, I'll be turning <clears throat> 35. Um, it actually hurts my chest just like a little bit to say it out loud. Um, according to math, that is officially mid-30s. Um, and I tried to get y'all a picture of baby Jenny, but I couldn't get my parents to send me one in time. So you get um, preschool Jenny. Um, and yes, I did get my birthday nails done last week. So 1988, birth year. So anyways, as I've been kind of approaching this birthday, this milestone, um, if I can be vulnerable with y'all for a second, it's conjured up some questions, some doubts, some fears, some uncertainties, with very few answers or reprieve from that doubt and that uncertainty. Questions like, will God ever have Michael B. Jordan in my DMs? <laughs> will we get married? Will I get married at all? Will I have kids? Do I want kids? The world is literally splitting in two. The earth is crumbling. Should any of us be having kids? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I walking in purpose? Am I doing enough? Will I ever have those six abs or was 34 the last year to attempt? What will the next five years look like or feel like? What are my goals? What's the point of goals when we are actively surviving a pandemic and climate change and mass shootings and Benefer 2.0? <laughs> and so maybe some of these sound familiar. Um, hopefully I'm not alone. Um, but the point is, it can feel overwhelming. This sense of uncertainty, this sense of doubt, this sense of not knowing exactly what is before us. And when you have more questions than you have answers. And so for just a second, so that I'm not alone in feeling this uncertainty, I want us to explore, maybe turn to your neighbor. What happens when you feel uncertain? How does it sit in your body? Does it embolden you, or perhaps does it deter you from moving forward? So we'll just take a few minutes for that exploration. Okay, it sounds like we have a lot to say. Does anyone wanna share maybe a picture or how uncertainty sits in your body? Anyone have something they'd like to share? Or what word comes up when you think of uncertainty? Graduation, yes, that, right? And we have graduations at very different junctures of our life. Okay, anything else? We have graduation. How else does uncertainty show up for you? Immobilized, Immobilize, right? So this being paralyzed with that fear or uncertainty. One more, anyone? Overthinking. That, that resonates, absolutely. Well, thank you for all of you that shared. And like I said, I, I think those all resonate with, with most of us. In fact, it acutely 
sort of showed up for me this week um, of what should have been sort of this ongoing celebration, right, of my birthday month, but instead has been filled with angst and a bit of confusion. So I've been traveling a lot over the last few years, post-COVID vaccination, don't worry. Um, and I'm very organized and regimented traveler. And if you know me at all, you're not surprised. Um, yes, I am one of those people that shows up two hours, like you're supposed to, to the airport. It's gotten a little bit better since like clear and pre-check. So now I'm comfortable rolling up like a smooth hour and 45 minutes ahead of time. Um, so I pack my bag strategically. I got to go to the bathroom, refill the water bottle, check the gate just in case it's not there. I don't know the psychology behind that. But one of the most important rituals takes place when I'm on the plane and I'm in the seats. Right. Once I'm buckled up, I pray the same prayer every single time. Without fail. First, you got to pray for the flight attendants, right? That they know what they're doing. Then you pay for the pilot. Then you pray for the co-pilot. And this is the important part, and I think some of us miss it. You got to pray for the air traffic control team, right? Because they're the ones bird's eye view, right? And I must have the window seat. That's, that is absolutely non-negotiable. Now, you're like, of course you want the window seat, Virginia. You want to see the scenery and the landscape and witness God's beauty from the sky, but actually what I think the truth is, is it's what my therapist calls control, um, right? Or this idea that I have this belief that if I can see what's happening outside, I can rationalize while there's turbulence. I can predict the bumps and maybe even have ESP communication with the pilot so he knows what he's doing wrong to disrupt my smooth flight experience. So this past week on my flight to LA, I just got back yesterday, I was assigned an aisle seat, which felt like a great betrayal from the American Airlines. Because <laughs> I've been a very loyal customer. Um, and it was a super early flight, so my seatmate who got the, aisle, or got the window seat had the shade closed so that he could kind of aid his sleep. And it was a very turbulent flight from takeoff to landing. In fact, there was a wind advisory in LA, and so the pilot even told us it was gonna be a bumpy landing. But it was disconcerting to feel the bumps without having a sight line of the sky, not to be able to rationalize or rectify my fears, my anxieties. I had to trust this pilot, right? Trust their navigation, trust their skills, right? Seed my faith in the knowledge of the flight path and even trust that the bumps were part of getting me to my destination. Most importantly, I even had to trust what they chose to disclose to me about the flight, right? And what ended up being pretty frustrating was that the pilot kind of ignored the turbulence, didn't come on and say like, hey, y'all, it's only about five more minutes or we're going to find another flight path. We're going to go higher. We're going to go lower. It was just dead silence. <laughs> Thank you, my sentiment exactly. <laughs> and so to not know what to expect, to not know how long this turbulence would go for, to not know why we were experiencing turbulence, was it the pockets of air? Was it because we were going over the mountains, right? To not have any insight or comfort or information to aid the journey of uncertainty made it that much worse. And when we turn to our scripture today of Psalm 99, it reads, the Lord is king, right? It starts there. It's this affirmation, right, that he is sovereign. But then it says, let the people tremble. And I'm like, hold up, 
how do we reconcile those two things, right? He's enthroned. Let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all peoples. Let them confess his name, which is great and awesome. He is the Holy One. It's that part for me. Why must we tremble? What are we supposed to get from that fear and doubt? If we serve a sovereign God, if he's above all people, he's above all circumstances, why would he, like that pilot, not get on the intercom every now and then and tell us, hey, this is why this feels rocky. This is why you're having doubts. This suffering's not gonna last past Wednesday. So for obvious reasons, February is always my favorite month, but in addition to my birth, you're welcome, it's Black History Month. It's also Fashion Week. It's NBA All-Star Week. Yesterday was the dunk contest, the Grammys, the Oscars. I mean, I don't know, y'all, I think God's trying to say something, right? It's like the best month of the year. It feels like this pinnacle of cultural revelation. And in some ways, it articulates all the things that make up my identity, my lens of the world. And as a black woman whose world has been informed by the ways in which history and contemporary understandings of blackness are denounced, oppressed, and disrupted, this 28 days, this disruption of the everyday to acknowledge and honor black culture and black identity is usually something um, that excites me, that brings sort of healing. But there's been this barrage of unexpected, undetected bumps and dips right, just like that flight. And as we enter this season of epiphany and we sit halfway through Black History Month, and as we've been wading through these feelings of uncertainty and confusion, and in some cases, betrayal, in the midst of these 28 days that are supposed to honor and celebrate, I'm asking God, why must we suffer? When will our humanity be valued and not questioned? What's God showing us in the midst of this pain? So this month of celebration oftentimes feels fleeting, feels untrue, feels insincere in the midst of the reality. As we question what's my place in the world, in this country, and in this season of life. And so for a second, I want us to sit with even, you know, y'all shared with me your personal understanding of uncertainty, but I turned to, you know, the... Um, amazing resource of Webster Dictionary. And uncertainty means a situation in which something is not known, or something is not known or certain. It could also mean the feeling of not being sure what will happen in the future. And then these synonyms I thought were really helpful. It's distrust, right? We find ourselves distrusting the situation, distrusting ourselves in the in circumstances. It's doubt. It's um, query, right? It's questioning. It's reservation. Someone's, you know, uh, uh, the idea of it paralyzing you, right? It's skepticism. It's suspicion. And I think that gives such weight to oftentimes what can feel like a long season. I would say collectively, we have endured three years of uncertainty of skepticism, of like, okay, double masking isn't working, right? Uncertainty of like, okay, we say we value life and yet here we are, right, harming it day in and day out. And this definition really struck me. It says to be unaware, to not understand, to be uninformed, to be unknown. 
And I often sense that sort of in this everyday relationship with God, where I'm pleading with God, help me understand, inform me of my place on this earth, make me aware of how my faith should persist in the midst of such tremendous pain. Exploring the meaning of certainty kind of reminds me of one of our values here at Vox, which is mystery. And if you aren't aware of what that, how that reads, it's on the website, so you should go. Um, but it reads, our narrative begins with light, which is both finite and infinite, based on speed. The incarnation is God who is timeless, slowing, slowing and entering into linear time. With these parameters, healthy faith is, with, is we who are finite, learning to be loved and love the one who is infinite. As a community, we lean into the mystery of Christ, leading us on our bright days and in our darkest hours. This type of faith involves doubt, uncertainty, and learning to trust in the one whose name is truth and love. And it's such a beautiful reminder that this mystery, this uncertainty, is a part of our journey of faith. It's a part of, of our, of our um, upcoming epiphanies. And that mystery is what creates such friction and conflict in this scripture that we read today, where God tells us to anticipate, tremble, and fear, but also to trust him, to remind us that he is sovereign and he is powerful and omnipotent, but tell us to expect the trembling, the turbulence, and not always be able to see out the window. James Cone is a black theologian um, who, in my estimation, kind of ushered in this paradigm shift within the Christian doctrine, helping us to explore Christian faith through this understanding of salvation. I'm sorry, through this understanding of sort of black liberation, anchored in this practice of faith. And he wrote this book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree which by itself is a very powerful image. And he wrote, the cross can heal and hurt. It can be empowering and liberating, but also enslaving and oppressive. There's no way in which the cross can be interpreted. I offer my reflections because I believe that the cross place alongside the lynching tree can help us to see Jesus in America in a new light and thereby empower people who claim to follow him to take a stand against white supremacy and every kind of injustice. And it's such a visceral image of this idea of something we have aligned with our salvation and our liberation in Christ, and something that we know has caused so much harm and pain in this country. But I think what James Cone is inviting us to explore is this idea of conflict, that our faith is predicated on doubts, that our faith enables us, right, to move through uncertainty. And so Vox, my first question to us this morning is how might uncertainty propel us deeper into the mystery and revelation of God's grace, even in the midst of injustice, suffering, and oppression? And I think, I wasn't going to share this, but there's one more line in this book that James Code wrote, and he says, suffering naturally gives rise to doubts. How can we, one believe in God in the face of such horrendous suffering? Under these circumstances, doubt is not a denial, but an integral part of faith. 
It keeps faith from being sure of itself, but doubt does not have the final word. The final worth is faith giving rise to hope. And so here we are collectively and individually awaiting understanding, awaiting explanation sometimes, or epiphany. And we're entering this season of epiphany before we move into the season of Lent and Easter. Epiphany has always been an interesting concept to me because I've always questioned what exactly drives that search for information, right? Is it spirit-led? Is it internal? Is it external? Right? How do we define epiphany? And what does scripture lead us to understand? Well, just as I enter the uncertainty of this season of life, I've begun to reflect on these ideas of questions and frustrations. Right? And so the word epiphany means this. It means a usually sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. An intuitive grasp of reality through something, some sort of event. An appearance or manifestation. It's illuminating discovery, realization, or disclosure. And then some of the synonyms are insight, inspiration, vision, surprise. And I often find that that is what epiphany feels like in the midst of doubt and uncertainty. We don't know when to expect it. It's not on our Google calendar, right? It's a surprise. It's a flash of insight. It's a flash of God's presence in the dark, in the uncertain, in the doubt. And so what is God asking of us in this season? If we go back to our scripture, in verse 4 it reads... Almighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and fall down before his foot still. He is still, I'm sorry, he is the Holy One. And so after God reminds us that we will experience trembling, that we will experience doubt and uncertainty, he then reaffirms his place, that he is mighty that he is a lover of justice, that he abides in equity, right? That he executes justice and righteousness, that he is the Holy One. And that is a powerful reminder. But again, as humans, right, we're still navigating the suffering of life, right? And again, as I have sort of explored this month of Black History Month, I've had to reckon this time of celebration and recognition with the ongoing pains, the ongoing oppression, right, of people who walk in melanated bodies. And that ability to exhale or the ability to find epiphany in the midst of doubt, right, to believe that we serve a God of justice, right, can be difficult. Dante Stewart is a beautiful voice, I think, of this millennial generation. Um, and I think he kind of carries forth the voice of a James Cone or a James Baldwin. And he said it like this in his book, Shouting in the Fire, which I think Christopher has referenced um, in past homilies. To believe in the better, to believe in your future, to shout in the midst of a country on fire, to stare down lions, to shake the foundations of the empire, to make meaning in the face of death, 
to fail, to create, to live, and to love. This is the stuff of hope. It is not an ascent to nostalgia or myths or lies. It is the audacious belief that one's body, one's story, one's future does not end in this moment. And so when we feel that acute doubt, that visceral uncertainty where we literally cannot see outside the plane, outside the window, we are stuck just being in that acute fear, Dante reminds us, right, that the hope, the epiphany of Christ in that moment, right, offers us the ability to continue to pursue, right, that our faith is predicated on this hope. And he goes on to say in this book, as I read the Hebrew Bible, I'm struck by two main verbs that refer to waiting. One is to wait with expectation. The other is to wait in the tension of enduring. It is not passive. It is an active struggle to live in the face of despair. Now, it's a little dramatic to say that I was like in despair on this flight, but it was a two-hour, 45-minute flight, and it was turbulent the entire way. And I was actually working on this homily while on the plane. And it was really hard to keep typing, right, every time I would feel that bump. And again, the anticipation of relief, the anticipation of stillness, the anticipation to just hear the pilot say, hey, I'm going to turn the seatbelt sign off in five minutes. None of that ever came. But I endured in that moment to know that at some point we were going to land, right? At some point I was going to finish this homily, <laughs> right? And I was going to land with the understanding, right, that God had always been sovereign. Despite those, the turbulence, despite not having insight into why I was experiencing that. And so Vox, how can we make space for everyday epiphanies? How can the mystery of our human condition embolden us to deepen our faith? I think we're oftentimes looking for the big picture epiphany, right? That says, okay, you are called to this. The next 10 years will look like this. Yes, Virginia, Michael B. Jordan will be your husband. But that hasn't come. The big epiphanies have not come. But I'm finding hope in the small epiphanies. I'm finding hope in the enduring amongst mystery and uncertainty, those small graces that God gives us every day. So what does trust and faith in God, in his love and sovereignty, and his promise to be, in Psalm 99, an executor of justice? How can we begin to create space for epiphany in this season amidst the doubt and uncertainty? Because as an empath, these headlines that you see before you, these realities of the world are daily trembles to me. It shakes my joy. It shakes my clarity of purpose. And sometimes it shakes my understanding of God. I vividly remember last spring, um, I was flying back from my grandmother's 90th birthday, which was such a blessing. And I was coming back to do a talk I'd been asked to uh, keynote this conversation about what does equity look like um, specifically in this, uh, I, th I think it was like in the tech industry. And as I'm landing back in Texas, I open up my phone, turn on the, you know, uh, turn off airport, uh, air airplane mode, 
and I have all these texts from my family that I was just with in Atlanta. I'm like, oh my gosh, how could you possibly have something to say? I just left. And they're all like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? So then I go to CNN and it was the Evalde shooting that just happened, which was literally, I think, six days after the Buffalo shooting. And I'm preparing for this talk that feels so, uh, what's the word, in vain, feels completely useless to go talk to these folks working in the tech space about what equity looks like when shifting the culture or the practices of this company will not prevent someone from having the distorted view of humanity and going to a grocery store and shooting black people in the daylight. And I struggled to show up in that space. I all of a sudden was overcome with these doubts of what am I even doing? Like, what is the purpose of this? Is this just performative? Am I just being a part of this vanity project of D&I? Does my purpose even matter amidst such pain and ongoing suffering? Does policy change this? Does it matter if I help write the stories of people that look like me when we're faced with such oppression daily? And those uncertainties paralyzed me. I took a month off, refused to do any talks for a month. I escaped to New York and Toronto that summer. And I just sat with these questions of how do I show up? How do I find a grain of hope in the midst of it all to propel me into purpose? How do I allow mystery to guide me to epiphany? And so in this season, as I approach mid-30s, I feel like God is guiding me to this new construct, to this new way of being, which will require me to release control, to get comfortable enjoying the ride from the aisle seat and not the window seat sometimes, and to find small dignities, affirmations, and revelation in the everyday, which may not necessarily provide the answer or any answer, but instead is small reminders of God's beauty, God's love, God's grace, all of which is available to us daily. And so one of those small epiphanies, those small joys in the midst of those headlines I showed you a few minutes ago, happened a few at the beginning of February. God gave me this beautiful reminder. It was the same week as the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. It was a few days after the trial began of the murder of Tyree Nichols. And I was struggling to engage jubilantly in this celebration of Black History Month. I received a last minute invitation from a good friend of mine, Palamate, to attend a performance of the Dance Theater of Harlem in Austin. And she was taking her four-year-old little girl and me. And I thought, what? Harlem in Austin? Really? Okay, sure. Let's do it. And for those of you who may not know the impetus, the Dance Theater of Harlem, like that of Alvin Ailey, was created to be a space for black people and people of color to exist and thrive and be seen amidst a very segregated and racist ballet environment in the early 1930s and 40s. It offered this beautiful, these beautiful dancers, artists, storytellers, a place to explore and to abide in joy. And we can play it now, sorry, I know it was... 
And when I tell you, this brought tears to my eyes. I noticed about 45 minutes in that I had not stopped smiling the entire hour and a half. I had this unexplainable joy to see movement amongst the pain of the weak, to see joy amongst the uncertainty, and to also wonder if I could get those abs at some point this season. I'll let you finish enjoying that. Alice Walker, who I know many of you know as this prolific writer of the 20th century, she wrote the foreword to Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. And she says it like this, ours is an amazing, spectacular journey in the Americas. And when she says ours, she's specifically talking through the lived experience of black Americans. It is so remarkable one can only be thankful for it, bizarre as that may sound. Perhaps our planet is for learning to appreciate the extraordinary wonder of life that surrounds even our suffering and to say yes, if through the thickness of fears. So Vox, what does it look like to seek collective liberation in the midst of fear, doubt, and uncertainty? In this season of epiphany, in this season that may feel hard for some of us, uncertain for some of us, how do we continue to seek those revelations, those epiphanies, those small joys, those small reminders that God is a God of justice, a God of liberation? And as you meditate on that question, I'm gonna end us with this exploration from Cole Arthur Riley, who, if you're on Instagram, I think I say this every time I give it up, but you need to follow her, Black Liturgies. And she says this, the truth is my hope is mangled. It limps and creaks at night. You speak of hope like a white bird soaring, but it's okay that mine is battered, is a battered exhale, a bench with splintered wood. When we talk of Advent, we're speaking the language of waiting, the tension between believing in the goodness that is to come and naming the grief and heartache of our present moment. Hope doesn't always sound triumphant. The weight is costly, and it's okay to say so. And so this prayer is how I'll end us. God of the long and aching weight, grief feels nearer to us than you do. Where are you? We have lost so much, given so much, and hope is beginning to feel like a stranger. We want to so much more than the present condition of the world, but we're so accustomed to pain that we don't even know what to hope for. Help us to dream, not that we would pine for some mirage of how things used to be, but that we would hold space for the visions of life where justice can breathe, where power is mobile, and where liberation leaves us to leaves no soul behind. She invites us to inhale, God, my hope trembles, like he said in Psalm 99, but steady me as I wait. Inhale, the wait is long, but exhale, this breath endures. And so I'm gonna end you um, in a way that is always meaningful for me um, in this song uh, by Maverick City. Um, and it's called Man of Your Word. 
And so as we continue to reflect in this season of Epiphany and those words that Psalm 99 offers us, where we are reminded of God's power, we are reminded that we serve a God of liberation, I just want to remind us that we serve a God of his word. And so even in the moments of doubt and uncertainty, we can believe those things to be true. So we'll play a little clip from this song. You're a man of your word, yeah. yeah. Here we go. This is what it says. All things are possible when we believe. Old chains are breakable when we receive Yahweh. You keep your promises. If you said it, we believe it. If you said it, hey, if you said it, we believe it. Hey. Yeah. If you said it, we believe it. Cause you're a man of your word. If you said it, we believe it. those small epiphanies, even in the midst of uncertainty. And as those words remind us that we serve a God of promises and a God of truth, the word of the Lord. <laughs>